everyone. Steve here. Um, some of you know that uh, just over three weeks ago, my wife passed away unexpectedly. It was a long battle. Uh, she was in the hospital for 21 days with double pneumonia and a blood infection. Uh, the entire shutdown, she was up and down. And uh, because this feed has gone dark for the last few weeks, I figured you all might want to know uh, kind of what's going on. So uh, I'll have an update at the end that talks a little bit more about kind of what's going on, next steps and that kind of stuff. But my goal is in early July to get back to recording. I miss having these conversations. I do. I do. Right now, though, my focus needs to be on my boys, on myself and the uh, celebration weekend that we're planning the last weekend of June in a couple weeks and also laying the groundwork for a nonprofit that I'll talk about more at the end. So the following interview that you're going to hear was one that I recorded with Kim Munson. She is up in Denver, uh, Crawford Broadcasting. Uh, so I don't know how many stations in Colorado and outside of Colorado she's heard, but uh, this is probably one of the most concise, detailed accounts of the last two months, really two months. So, um, enjoy and I'll have an update for you at the end. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast sounding off with Kim Munson. Be sure and check out my website. That is Kim Munson.com M O N S O N.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can email me at Kim at Kim Munson.com as well. And uh, go over to Facebook and give us a like. I am thrilled to have on this podcast, Steve Ryder. Uh, you have been a guest a couple of different times on the show with a, a story that has just totally touched people's hearts. The last time that you were on, I received yeah. uh, a message from a listener that said, that is the most riveting radio <laughs> I have ever heard in my life. Wow. And wow. Um, so let's go ahead and jump in on this. Uh, Steve, your story... Uh, of your, you and your wife, Elizabeth, and what yeah. has happened. Uh, we were connected, uh, and um, somebody said the story needs to be heard. So let's go ahead and jump into it, Steve Ryder. Yeah, so um, uh, I'd been married for almost 19 years. My wife, very early on, exhibited some autoimmune uh, symptoms, and uh, Basically, it was a long journey of health for her. Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, the RA was kind of in remission, was in remission, but she struggled with lupus. Um, when the day that she was officially diagnosed with lupus, uh, we also find out we were pregnant with our first, Matthew. Same day, huh? Yes. And the doctor said because of her type of lupus that it was going to be a very difficult pregnancy. It was actually going to be a life-threatening pregnancy, and so he recommended an abortion. And both of us were like, no, no. I th I, we, we, we both have a deep faith, and um, so we, we both decided that, no, we're going we're gonna to take this and take it very seriously. And it was a really rough, really rough pregnancy. Um, Pregnancy-induced hypertension, lots of ER visits because her blood pressure was through the roof, blood thinners, that kind of stuff. And bed rest, probably I'd say about half the pregnancy she was on bed rest. And uh, traumatic emergency C-section. And um, it, it, she lost a lot of blood. The doctor actually said, 
Steve, it got really hairy in there. She lost a lot of blood. During the delivery? Yes. It was okay. an emergency C-section. Nine weeks early, Matthew was three pounds, 10 ounces. Um, and in fact, uh, I was coaching high school football at the time and my head coach's wife went with Elizabeth and I went with Matthew. And when, when Elizabeth woke up, the first thing she said was, I'm not supposed to be here. And it was a years of counseling and processing what exactly was going on. And, and, and so deep in my spirit, I knew that I, that there was a chance that we weren't going to see 50 years together. Uh And, uh, so how old is Matthew now? Matthew's 15. Okay. And he's a huge kid. He's bigger than me now. So in December, we spent a month in Australia. My brother lives in Australia. He's a pastor of a rural Western Australian town of Brookton. And uh, so we spent almost a month out there. And uh, um, he was as tall as me. And when we got back in January, we, we stood up back to back and put the level on mm-hmm. to see where the bubble went. And the bubble started slanting his direction. And yeah. so in January, he officially passed me at, at 15 years old. And how, so how tall is he? He's about 6'2 now. He's 6'2", six six two, and he was a three pounds something when he was three born. Three pounds, 10 ounces. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my gosh. I loved the NICU staff there at Memorial Hospital in Colorado Springs uh-huh. where, where he was born. So fast forward, uh, lots of lupus issues. But it, it, right after that birth, Elizabeth started complaining of chest pains. She would say, I, I, my, when, when she would lay on her left side, she would say, my, my heart, it feels like my, there's pressure on my heart. That's the way she would describe it. And uh, the doctors would, oh, that's just the lupus. That's just the lupus. That's just the lupus. Mm-hmm. Well, we were uh, on birth control. No more kids. We were going to adopt. And I slipped one past the goalie. Got her pregnant. And fortunately, we got with one of the best prenatal doctors in the entire Western U.S. in downtown Denver, right over by the REI, just off, off I-25. Mm-hmm. We made trips sometimes twice a week to go see him. And he was watching her like a hawk. Okay. And uh, the, the pregnancy still had the hypertension, uh, still had a couple ER visits, but it was much different. And instead of nine weeks early, Caleb was six weeks early. Mm-hmm. They were able to give him a, a steroid injection to accelerate lung development. The kid didn't need any oxygen when he came out. He was hungry the second he came out, which is typical Caleb. And uh, yeah, so she kept complaining of this of this. Um, Uh, tightness in her chest and they kept blaming it on the lupus 2013 she started to uh deal with these issues of not having an appetite not feeling well Uh, and and the doctors would look at the blood markers and they say uh the lupus looks like it's still in remission so we think it's hormonal because it would ebb and flow with her monthly cycle we think it's hormonal we're going to treat it like that she kept getting worse and worse and worse to the point for basically about three months she was bedridden. I had to help get her out of bed. I had to help take her to the bathroom. I had to help get her into the shower. I had to put her socks on. I had to just help get her dressed often. So in how old was she? was probably, what, in her mid-30s? Let's see, 2013. So that would make her probably, yeah, mid-30s. Okay. Mid, yeah, probably 36. Okay. 35. And uh, um, 34. And um, anyway, so 2014, she had basically wasted away to about 86 pounds. She's thin to begin with. I mean, if, if she was healthy, she'd probably max out about 105. Mm-hmm. Five, six, thin build. Um, at, at, at an ideal weight, I think she would have been about 100, 105 pounds healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, while we were married, she rarely, rarely, rarely cracked 100. 
she was usually around 90 something. Mm -hmm. And so for her to waste away to 86 pounds, she was skin and bones. And we just decided, uh, because the doctors in the Springs, we couldn't figure it out. We were like, let's just go to the best hospital in the state. And we went to the brand new Colorado university of Colorado hospital at Anschutz Mm -hmm. here in, here in Aurora. And, uh, so anyway, she was in there for about two weeks and, and immediately as soon as they went in there, they were like, okay, even though the lupus looks like it's in, even though the blood markers show it's in remission, let's treat it like it's lupus and see what happens. And within six hours, Kim, she was getting up by herself, going to the bathroom by herself, really? able to put on socks by herself. They gave her a blast of prednisone and I don't, maybe another steroid. And it was like so radical, so quick that she turned that around. She was there for about a week and a half, almost two weeks in March of 2014. Okay. That... She got better so quickly that some undiagnosed pulmonary hypertension raged. That's what the chest, the chest pain was. And she went from her heart perfect in March of 2014. That's what the doctors called it. You have a perfect heart to significantly enlarged and failing congestively in November of 2014. Um, I saw her over the course of between August and November. I saw her getting weak. She'd get out of breath, walking from the bedroom to the couch. And like, babe, there's something wrong. You need to see a doctor. I know, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. So at the time she was working part-time for an attorney friend in Castle Rock, a very, very close friend. Elizabeth mm-hmm. would go up to Castle Rock twice a week. The rest of the time she'd work from home. Um, and uh, anyway, in, in November, mid-November, I don't remember the exact day, but she drove herself to work and she made, she made up her mind that after she was done with work, she was going to drive herself to the ER at University of Colorado Hospital. Days done, she gets to the car and she can't open it. She physically, she was like, I couldn't open it. So she hobbled her way back. She shuffled her way back in to tell Jay, Jay, I need you to drive me to the hospital. They drove her. They, Elizabeth, uh, <laughs> I think it was Jay called me while they were en route. Elizabeth's going to the hospital. And so I started making a phone call to, to get someone to come over and watch the boys so I could mm-hmm. come up to the hospital and be with her. When she went into the hospital, the doctors told me like in the next couple of days, it was an end of life kind of situation. Her heart had enlarged significantly. Yeah. The right side of her heart had enlarged because of the pulmonary hypertension. For listeners that don't know what pulmonary hypertension is, it's basically the lungs aren't absorbing enough blood that the heart is trying to push in. And so that back pressure causes the right side of the heart to enlarge. Now, when when the right side enlarges, it's able to, with when it gets under control, it's able to go right back down to a normal size. The left side of the heart is, if it's enlarged, you're, you're toast. There's no coming back from that. So the doctors told me it was an end of life kind of situation. And, um, a couple days later, Dr. Badish, who's the head of pulmonary at CU, um, I love the guy. He's, he's, he's from what the nurses told us, he's world renowned in terms of pulmonary hypertension and a world expert. And so he came to me, pulled me aside and he said, Steve, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but there's a very real possibility. Your wife won't be around to see your youngest graduate high school. Well, I'm going to need that Kleenex box. Yeah. And, uh, thank you. And, uh, once I recovered from that shock, I posted it on LinkedIn and I posted it on Facebook. Once I recovered from that shock, um, I made the determination that whether I had a week left with my wife or I had 
20 years or 30 years, I was going to make every day count as much as I possibly could. I was going to do whatever it took to love my wife and try and take care of her. With the pulmonary hypertension, um, the, the, the drug, the, she had lots of drugs that she was on, um, but uh, the main drug to keep those pressures down is called Velitri, and you need to mix Velitri. It comes in a powdered vial, and you need to take sterile water and mix it in there, and then you need to put it in this cartridge, and then the cartridge attaches to a pump, and that pump goes into a Hickman line into her chest. So I'm pointing, for mm-hmm. listeners that, are, that I'm pointing like basically on the opposite side of the heart. She had a hole right here that with that line that would go in, and there's a vein that comes in from your, from your arm that's actually bigger than your jugular vein, and it would go into that vein and kind of come down a little bit, and then it would pump that medicine in there so that way the pre- it would open up those blood vessels in the lungs so that way the lungs would be able to absorb the amount of blood that the heart was pushing in. Fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so anyway, the, Dr. Badish basically told me, he's, he, he went on to tell me that there's two reasons why pump pH patients, pulmonary hypertension, pH patients, don't, don't live... He was essentially giving her 10 years because Caleb was eight at the time. Uh, He said one is because eventually the meds decrease in effectiveness and you need to increase the dosage, increase the dosage, increase the dosage until you can't, until there's no more benefit. You can keep increasing the dosage, but there's no net benefit. And and, and eventually then the pulmonary hypertension just takes over and it's just a matter of of just a slow death from that. And he said the other thing is uh, because there's a Hickman line going in there, it poses a significant infection risk. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, Dr. Bull, her pulmonary doctor, who's basically the number two, he's kind of from, from what I'm told, he's being groomed to be, to replace Dr. Badish. He's the most amazing guy in the world. I love Dr. Bull. I mean, he is just, when you think of a, a ideal doctor, Dr. Bull is it. I love the man. Uh, Dr. Bull, basically when, when Elizabeth went in this last time, um, he, he told me, he said, Steve, pH patients on average are hospitalized once a year with an infection in five and a half years. This was her second infection. And he said, bro, I don't know what you're doing, but whatever you're doing, keep it up. And so, uh, and I made sure, I mean, it really, what the nurses taught me to do in order to change that bandage. I did to a T. I made sure sterilely. I put on the gloves exactly the way that they told me. And I made sure to handle everything exactly the way that they told me. And I made sure to, you know, to, for the iodine and for the chloroprep and for all the other stuff, I made sure to do exactly the way that they told me. So that way, you know, I was taking this mm-hmm. and I would actually, at the time I would pray over her when I would do it. I'd be like, God, thank you for no infections. Uh, I, I just bless this. I, I asked for just continued protection over my bride. Um, thank you for, for this uh, time with her, yada, yada. So, so was this like once a day? You that- No, it was usually about once a week. They, they, they recommended about once a week. So she always had this line in <clears throat> that had been implanted. And then once a week, you would do this treatment. Yep. Once a week, I, I would remove the old bandage and, um, and then clean it, wash it off uh-huh. with an alcohol swab. Then with chloroprep, we let the chloroprep dry, and then we'd have like this bandage prep pad that I would that I would rub on there. She had a um, a bio patch that I put over the hole, and then this uh, this uh, little latex or little 
clear kind of bandage that I would just put over that to make sure that the bio patch would stay in place. And uh, when she would shower, she was supposed to have a, 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 um, a an extra covering sure. over that to make sure that no, no, no water got into there. Um, it, it, it was... It, it was a lot. And then, and then I'd have to mix her medicine with that Bellitri. I'd have to mix it. And I could mix up to eight days at a time. So, you know, during football season, I'd, on a Saturday or Sunday while watching a game, I could get an entire week done. Mm-hmm. And then there were times where, you know, I'd, I'd, you know I'd, I'd forget. I wouldn't plan properly. And I'd be in bed and Elizabeth would be like, babe, you got to get up. You got to make a medicine. I, I, I always told her, I said, I said, if I ever get frustrated, and I would if I ever get frustrated when you wake me up, it's not at you. It's not over the fact that I have to mix this medicine. It is not that. It's the fact that I didn't plan it out. I'm mad at myself. I get it. I'm, I'm, mad, oh, at, I'm mad at myself because that, that I didn't plan it out right. But, you know, Steve, what happens, though, particularly what you're describing, you know, you have, have children at home, you, you know, your your work, you know, certainly what you're describing, it, it takes a big effort. And so there are days where... You're just dead tired and you just don't do it. So I get it. You know, it's like, ah, I should have done that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, fast forward, uh, the whole COVID thing starts. Mid-March, I'm I'm planning on being in Wisconsin. I grew up in Wisconsin, South Central Wisconsin, and uh, just 30 miles straight north of Madison. One of my college roommates was a head boys basketball coach for Stratford High School. Stratford was undefeated two years in a row, the number one division four seed. And uh, Kurt's oldest son, Chandler, was a senior. And when these kids were eight years old, I remember Kurt calling me. He said, CB, and my nickname, they, they call me Cool Beans. And they call me CB for short. And their kids call me Uncle CB. He said, CB, this team, Chandler's team, they are going to be special. And I think I've got a chance to win state with these kids. Ten years. So for ten years, Kurt and I are like, dude, dude. Dude, dude, oh, so last, year, last, last year, they, last year they lost in sectionals. Um, and, and, uh, this year they, I mean, one of their players was a career. They had two career thousand point scorers. One of their players is an offensive line recruit for the university of Wisconsin. Cool. And for listeners that don't know, university of Wisconsin is an offensive line school, a machine. Some of the best offensive linemen in the NFL are from the university of Wisconsin. And so for, Ben to be, you know, the career thousand point scorer. This was the year. So I planned 10 days in Wisconsin. So that way I could be there for sectionals and I could be there for state. And I had appointments down in Chicago in between. So that way I could meet with some clients and potential clients, meet with some friends, that kind of thing. I was by that 10 days packed out Thursday comes around. And I don't remember if, uh, I, th- I think the NCAA made the announcement that they were, uh, d- doing the tournament with family only. And the NBA, right at that time, as we were driving up to the to the uh, DIA for me to fly out, um, the NBA made their their announcement that they were postponing their you know kind of pausing the season. Now I'm a University of Kansas fan. Uh, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I know, and it looked like they were going to have a year. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. You got it. So I've, I've, one of my closest friends is is a KU grad, and so the, you get I, it. I, lo- <laughs> I, 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 I told him I said I want to go to a KU game with you, a basketball game, and I want to get really good seats. And I just I, I want to hear that Rock Chalk Jayhawk it's KU. Cool. I want to hear that. It's cool. Oh. It, is, it is major cool, but. I think where you're headed here is the, with the COVID-19. I mean, a lot of, you know, I mean, we're talking, there's just a story about Elizabeth, but but 
there's so many young people that you know they won't have another shot at that state championship. I know, and 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 and, and for. Yeah, so so I get out to Wisconsin, and um, the, as soon as I landed, Kurt texted me and said it's immediate family only for tonight's game. My my goal was to fly in. Jason, our other roommate, was driving up from Chicago. We were going to go up to uh, Wausau. The game was up in Wausau. We were going to go up together to go to that game. Immediate family only. I was like, bro, call me immediate family. And he was like, <laughs> he's like, I, I I I tried. I can't. So we watched that game. It streamed. I went over to a buddy of mine's house. We watched it. They won. Decide, I mean, it was close at halftime. And in halftime, at the second half, they just turned it on. And it was like it was like watching a machine. And it was beautiful. And I was like, oh, they are going to win it all. This is going to be it. The next morning when I woke up, the WIAA made the announcement that they canceled the tournament. Yeah. It just broke my heart because Chandler is such a great kid, Kurt's. Oldest son, and this was Kurt's. I mean, yeah, Kurt probably has another chance, but oh man, this was it. My heart mm-hmm. broke for Chandler because oh man, it just it eats me up that that they never got this chance. So they canceled the tournament Friday, and Friday Elizabeth calls me and she's like, "Steve, I'm not feeling well. I want you home." Okay, so this would be mid-March then? Yes, right. okay. yeah, yeah, mid-March. Okay. okay. So, I mean, if listeners go back at the calendar and they figure out when, you know, the, the Colorado State Tournament was canceled right at the same time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so anyway, Friday she calls and she says, I'm not feeling well, please come home. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, uh, Marissa, a friend of hers, is also, we're both of us are exhibiting COVID symptoms. And on the drive up, Elizabeth and I had talked. She was, and she was like, eh, "I'm feeling okay. I'm not feeling great, but I'm feeling okay." And, and we talked about me me canceling this trip, sure. me me not coming back, or, or me me not going out there. But uh, we both kind of talked about it. And we're like, "Yeah, we feel okay with this." So, uh-huh. so Friday she tells me I'm not feeling well. Marissa's not feeling well either. And Marissa's husband works for the DOD and he travels a lot. Okay. And so, um, okay, maybe we do have COVID. And so uh, I bought a ticket uh, rather than me fly back frontier. I just bought a one-way ticket from Southwest from Milwaukee and just flew, flew back to Denver. A buddy of mine picked me up at the airport, drove me down and I was back Saturday night. And you live, when you say down, where do you, where's home? Falcon. So east of Colorado Springs. So basically if you take Woodman straight east 10 miles to where it dead ends into uh, I-25, where where it dead ends into highway 24, that's where we live Okay, right there. And, uh, so anyway, I get home, she's not feeling well. We get the, she, she gets authorized by her doctor to get a COVID test very early on. And, uh, we we go through the driving COVID test. She gets it and it takes 14 days. They said it was going to take up to seven days Mm -hmm. and it took 14 days. I think at the time the state was still doing the tests. Okay. They weren't doing them. The hospitals weren't doing it. I think the state was doing it. It took 14 days. And uh, <clears throat> she was up and down. Fortunately, because of the pH, we have an oxygen condenser and we have an oxygen tank. And so um, we have friends that are nurses that were very that were briefed on COVID. Okay. And they gave us all the indicators. They said, okay, you, you're, use your pulse ox machine and check your blood oxygenation levels consistently throughout the day. If you ever hit 89, call your doctor. If you ever hit 87, go to the ER emergency. Go, go to the ER immediately. With mm-hmm. just go, and uh, they were telling watch out this, and they were calling consistently and checking in, 
And so during that two weeks, um, I, I believe Elizabeth saw virtually her doctor and she was kind of giving her the exact same thing. And uh, when that negative came in, I want to say it was around the 29th, 30th, 31st, April 1st, something like that. I don't remember exactly the day. Um, she tried to get into her integrative doctor, but I, I don't remember if they weren't accepting in-person patients at the time. So we went to the nurse practitioner there in Falcon that we used to go to that our insurance didn't cover anymore. And so we just paid out of pocket for a visit. She was like, okay, I think it's some kind of infection. Here's a Z pack. Here's a backup script that way in case this doesn't go away. So over the course of the next four and a half, five weeks, <clears throat> um, she would call her integrative doctor and see her virtually. And uh, eventually what happened on the 29th, um, she woke up at 4 a.m. Now 29th of? April. Okay. April. She woke up at about 4 a.m. throwing up. So I got up immediately, was helping out, um, and she was trying to get sips of Gatorade or Powerade, whatever we had, just trying to get little sips, and she'd throw it up. And over the course of an hour and a half, she couldn't keep a single sip down. And I'm like, babe, now's the time. Now, she probably would have, probably would have, if, if visitors would have been allowed, she knew that if she would be hospitalized, she wouldn't have any visitors. And so she kind of pushed it, pushed it, pushed it. Because over the course of mid-March to late April, she would have some days where she would be up and around. And there were other days where she was down in bed, only getting up to go to the bathroom, maybe getting up to come sit with us and watch a movie or something. Mm -hmm. And I was telling the boys during that entire month and a half. They'd be on their devices playing with their friends, whatever. Mm -hmm. I said, dude, you're on your device. Go be on your device next to your mother. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. there was something in my spirit, something mm -hmm. in my spirit that knew this one could be it. And so I, I consistently was like, guys, get your butt in there. Get your butt in there. If you get me on your device, be next to your mother. Be next mm -hmm. to your mother. So we call the ambulance. They come pick her up. And, uh, okay. So let, so she had been pushing it and we got to think back, you know, America's, we don't know what we have, you know, things are shutting down. Exactly. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So, so for the listeners to go back in time, remember mid March, China wasn't saying anything to us. Mm -hmm. We didn't know the scope of what was really going on. Mm -hmm. The only thing that we were seeing were rumors of what was going on in Iran Rumors of what and, and, and what we were seeing going on in Italy, Italy. which which Italy was melting down. It's terrifying. Yes. And, and, and it was like, oh, my God, if this thing hits the U.S., this could this could overwhelm our, our, our system. And so in, in mid-March, I, I, th I think they made the right call mm -hmm. in, in, in order to restrict travel and shut things down. Figure out what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. <clears throat> so she though she pushes it because. What she doesn't really want to go to the hospital. Exactly. That's it. She, she, she knew that if she went to the hospital, we had no idea when I'd be able to get in there and see her, yeah. when I'd be able to sit next to her, when she'd be able to have any visitors. Mm -hmm. And so um, anyway, so she she goes to the hospital. And because I have been dealing with this cough since early March, I, I, was, I called my doctor and I was like, I want to get a covid test, too. They retested Elizabeth and it immediately came back negative when she okay. went into the hospital. So she went to Memorial Central in Colorado Springs. And because Dr. Bull is up here at the Anschutz campus, Dr. Bull, when he got into the office, immediately said, you're up here. I want you up here. Okay. So by early afternoon, she was transferred up to Anschutz okay. <clears throat> that morning. 
I was starting to make some calls, get ready, because the boys and I were going to get a hotel up in Aurora. Okay. Because I figured, okay, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get tested. My test came back like the next day, negative. All right, perfect. I'm negative. She's negative. There's got to be a way they're going to let me in. Mm-hmm. So Thursday, my negative comes in. She goes into the hospital Wednesday. Thursday, my negative comes in. Friday, I, I start. I call the hospital, and uh, they say no exceptions, except in the case of imminent death. Meaning, no exceptions. You can't. For no visitors, visitors. No visitors. No visitors. So I have a good friend of mine, John Stone Street, a client and a very dear friend. He happened providentially to talk to someone who was very involved in the Memorial UCH merger, and he gave the advice to say call the hospital president, CEO. Okay. And, and ask for an exception, call the head nurse and ask for an exception. So I went and I went on the website, looked up the, the, the names and um, <clears throat> called the operator, said, uh, get, send me to Elizabeth Concordia's office, please. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, uh, what do you want to talk about? And I, I explained what it was. Their office wouldn't, her office wouldn't take my call. I called Christopher Gessner who is the CEO of, of the University of Colorado Hospital. His office wouldn't take my call. I called the head nurse. Her office wouldn't take my call. And I called back and I said, who will talk to me? And the operator said, well, there's only really two places you can call. One, you can call that nurse, the, the, the head nurse on her floor, and you can talk to a patient advocate. So I left a voicemail with the patient advocate and talked to the nurse. And I said, can I get an exception? I'm COVID negative. She's COVID negative. I have personal protective equipment. Your nurses have taught me how to be sanitary, how, how, how to be sterile in changing her bandage. I understand the processes and procedures more than just about anyone on the street that isn't, doesn't have a medical degree or medically trained or EMT, that kind of stuff. No. And the, and all you're saying is, I just want to come in and see my wife. Right? I just want to I sit just, with her. I just, I just want to sit with her. I want to speak life over her. I want to talk to her. I want to rub her feet. That is so important, Steve Ryder. Yes. You know, the human touch. Without question. Yeah. The physical presence. FaceTime, don't cut it. FaceTime does not cut it. Okay. So I, I, I say to this nurse, I say, the first night my wife was there, the first night they gave her an antibiotic that gave her di- that gave her massive diarrhea and she was really dehydrated. And she told me the next morning, that Thursday morning, Steve, I thought I was going to choke to death on my own phlegm. Oh my gosh. I said, you're making exceptions for imminent death. What about someone who thinks they're about to die? No. What was, what was the response? No, no exceptions. But I've got personal protective equipment. I know how to do this. No. There's a LinkedIn article that um, you, you can share with your listeners that I wrote. Um, basically, a- after I got those no's, John Stone Street advised me. He said, Steve, write a piece that, that I'll pitch as an op-ed. Mm-hmm. I'll use my connections. We'll try and get it pitched as an op-ed. It was a Friday. once once, And he edited it for me. I wrote it. He made some adjustments, some tweaks. Really helped to kind of make it more powerful, more punchy in spots. At the end of the day, Friday, I knew it was I, I wasn't going to wait until Monday. To, 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 try and, to try and start to get that. I, I wanted to get in to see my wife. Mm-hmm. And so I posted it on LinkedIn and I tagged Elizabeth Concordia, who's the CEO of UC Health and uh, the entire UC Health system. And I, and, and I basically uh, s- said, you know, uh, people need human touch. And, and, I, and I said, my wife is an unintended consequence of this shutdown. And I basically said, 
you know, they, they need to let people in with restrictions. I, you know, mm -hmm. screen them. Mm -hmm. Make sure they have personal protective equipment, you know, health screen them when they come in. Check Let's their think about this creatively. Let's exactly. try to find a solution. And, and here's the thing. Here's, here's what I've told you and what I've told every interview that I said. I understand when you are overworked and overstressed, you can't think creatively. All you are doing is you are thinking about what's in, what's in front of you and how do you get through that day? Uh -huh. Believe me, believe I've been in that place in my career where I was overworked, overstressed, couldn't think creatively, and it burned me out. Mm -hmm. It took me years to recover from that physical burnout. Mm -hmm. So I get it. But, but, but I said in there, all I want is a dialogue between the decision makers and the families. So that way we can see what's going on with them and they can hear our pain and maybe, just maybe, we can come up with some creative solutions to figure out ways that, that, that we can get some in-person touch. Now, um, <clears throat> my birthday was May 4th. I believe it was a Monday. Centura Health down in Colorado Springs started allowing one visitor per patient per day screened. And so I was like, all right, cool. So 29th, she went in. My birthday, May 4th, Centura starts letting in. So I call the hospital again. And by this time, that LinkedIn article was probably at about, I don't know, 8,000 views on okay. LinkedIn. Okay. I think it capped out around 10,000. I don't think it's, it's done anything more than that. And chances are this media stuff will probably keep it going. And there's a companion piece on my website as well that you wrote for us at KimMunson.com. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, where, where I took that and kind of tweaked it and then mm -hmm. updated it with, mm -hmm. with some stuff. And uh so May 4th, the Centura starts letting people in and I start calling and I'm start saying, Hey, uh, uh, when's this changing? And I'm talking to Dr. Bull and he's like, I just got a memo that, that, um, some stuff is going to be changing. Stay tuned for an announcement the following week, following week. Yes. So, yeah. So, week. so, uh, the day, the Monday after, uh, my birthday, which was the day after mother's day. Uh, UCH made an announcement that said one visitor per patient per day, all hospitals across the state, except UCH Anschutz in Aurora, where my wife was, and one other hospital. I think it was Fort Collins, probably. <clears throat> then so, the, re <clears throat> the, reason? Reason, the reasoning was because they had more COVID patients than any other hospital. Okay. So um, let's see. Uh, so the day before Mother's Day. So I guess if they have COVID patients, then it shouldn't matter if you have somebody coming in. My, 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 my ultimate question for UCH is, I, I have a good friend of mine whose brother is the head of the quarantine ward at Mayo Clinic. Uh-huh. And he said the entire hospital is going about business as usual. They scaled things back just to make sure, but they quickly just went back up to full speed. And this quarantine clinic is completely separated from everywhere else. And he goes home with his family. And so he sees, so Joe was like, dude, I don't understand why UCH doesn't have a quarantine area, a quarantine building for, for something like this. Mm -hmm. Did they not read the tea leaves when we were hearing what SARS was or swine flu or Ebola? Mm hmm. Why the hell weren't they planning this? Mm -hmm. It's clear that they weren't. Mm -hmm. So getting back to the story, um, the Friday before Mother's Day, my mom flew in from Wisconsin to help out with the boys, to help out. 
And uh, so we drove up early, picked up Euros at a Euro place off of Iliff and 225, just up the road from here. And uh, drove to the parking lot at UC Health at the Anschutz campus and sat there and FaceTimed with Elizabeth while we ate our dinner and she ate her dinner. And she just and knew you out. were right out there. Though. We were right out there. And, and eventually her nurses came in, helped get her out of the bed, walk up to the window and flashed her lights. That way we could pick out her window. And we saw these two fuzzy images from that window. Drove, and at the end of the call, she got really emotional because we were so close and we couldn't get in there. That night, 2 a.m., I get a call from UCH, from the, from the doctor or nurse, I don't remember who, saying, your wife has bleeding in one of her lungs. We're moving her to ICU. It's not serious. You don't need to drive up yet. It's, it's serious, but it's not critical. You don't need to drive up yet. Okay. Five o'clock, they give me another call. Um, we're taking her in for scans. Uh, we've, we've gotten it slowed down. Um, we've, tra- we've given her four units of blood. In total, she got five. Um, and <clears throat> um, yeah, she was moved to ICU on, on that Saturday, before, the day before Mother's Day. Okay, let's see. So that would have been, let's, let's get to that date then. That would have been probably, was Mother's Day? A paper planner that is impressive <laughs> we try to keep that i'm a paper person steve hey well you know there, there there is something about physically writing something that that does something different for your brain than typing it yeah. it really does which is why i have an ipad here next to me with the apple pencil so that way i can write it down okay so this was sunday uh, mother's day was sunday may 10th okay so this would have been you said the next day may 11th right so, yeah, no so uh yeah, mother. No, so so she was. She went into the ICU on Saturday morning, so the ninth. On the ninth, okay. Yeah, so on the ninth, uh, she went in to ICU. Now, was it Mother's Day that you got the euros in? No, it was Friday. The, the Friday, so Friday before Mother's Day, euros were waving. Got it. That night slash morning, she goes into ICU. Okay, got it. Saturday, <clears throat> twice during this time. When she first went into the hospital and when she went into ICU, I had never seen her that week. Ever. It was just FaceTime and phone calls, huh? And the human touch, you know, granted, nurses are there, yeah, the, you know, the nurses, doctors, the, the, but it's not the same. No. And, 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 she, and she would tell me these stories of these nurses that would sit and talk with her and, and talk at a level. And, and, she, and she was like, babe, as hard as this is, I... I God's doing some stuff here. She was like, she was like, I, I, I don't know what, but she was like, God's really doing some stuff. And me, the fighter that I am, I'm like, that's cool, but I'm still fighting. So, um, so I, I maybe guess. God could do those things while I'm there too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know? Exactly. So Saturday morning I call and I beg again, I beg, please, please just let me in, let me in. I've never seen her this week, not even when she was in in 2014 with the congestive heart failure. And you guys called it an end of life kind of situation. Have I ever seen her this week? Please let me in. Mother's Day, I call and she's really depressed and she's not a person that gets depressed. She's not. She wasn't. I did everything I could, everything I could to get her to smile and I never could. And our conversation at one point turned to what if this is the one you don't come home from? 
You had that conversation. I did. And I told her, I said, babe, as hard as it's going to be, we're going to be okay. I promise we'll be okay. It'll take a long time. Oh my God, it'll be hard. Oh, it'll be hard. Wow. But I promise you it'll be okay. And so she's very depressed and you're having this conversation. Yeah. Monday, she started to turn around, start her mood started to improve. And Tuesday, um, the only way in which I can describe it is she had this encounter with God where she said she wasn't in heaven. She wasn't in her body. She was somewhere in between and God was doing some stuff. And she said, I can't put it into words. I can't put it into words what it was. And between your conversations with me, her mom and our pastor, we kind of pieced together kind of what was going on. And I'm still kind of unpacking really what, what, what exactly happened. But um, that next morning... Um, Wednesday morning, we had a conversation and she said, babe, I'm not sticking around for you. I'm not sticking around for the boys. I'm sticking around for me. And her mood was completely different for the next week. Completely. She was happy. Me, because I was losing this fight getting to her and seeing her get depressed on Mother's Day. I stopped taking, you know, my multivitamin. I stopped taking my krill oil, my other supplements that I normally take. I stopped going out for walks. I wasn't eating very well. And so I really started to slide into this depression. And it was Monday the following week when I kind of snapped out of it. And I was like, dude, you're not taking your supplements. You're not going out for walks. You're not getting exercise. You're not moving. That 18th, Monday the 18th. Okay. Um, now we, and you came on the show. Let's see. I've got to remember which day it was now. Um, it was about, it was about a week before she died. Yeah. It was, it was about a week before she died. Okay. And then, and then we came on, you, you said you wanted to interview me the next week for an update. Right. And that's when I sent you the message that said, right. I'm going to need a little more time on this right. before I can. Okay. So you were on, uh, on the 18th. Okay. Okay. And <clears throat> the day before she died. Yeah. So, um, because we were talking about the fact that you wanted to see her and you had not been able to do that. And then we scheduled for the next Tuesday for you to give yeah. us an update. Yeah. And at that time on the 18th, you thought you had good news. Exactly. Yeah. So, so that, so that Monday they officially had uh, really that weekend, they started saying, all right, we, we think you're ready to go home sometime next week, sometime next week on Monday. They said late in the week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So you guys are starting to mentally prepare for exactly, that. Exactly. Exactly. So on Tuesday, um, at about four Oh two, we have a face. She calls me FaceTime. I answer. It's an eight minute call. It's the and, 19th. Yep. The 19th Tuesday, the 19th, I have an eight minute call. And we're talking about, and I'm talking to her. And finally, at this point, I'm starting to smile. And, and we're like, okay, cool. This is coming home. Sweet. All right. And, and I'm talking to her about, okay, what do you want for meals? Um, I'm going to make sure to get some of your lotion so that way I can rub your feet. Your mom's, her mom's a massage therapist. And so her mom was going to come over and, you know, put her on the table. And, or if, if, if she wasn't well enough to get on the table, we have a massage table down in her basement. So that way, whenever my mother-in-law comes over, we can get full massages. But looking forward to that human touch. Exactly. The, the basic things, <clears throat> how you care for somebody. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, uh, and, and we're, we're just, all right, cool. Exactly 40 minutes after I hung up, I got a call from the hospital and I thought, cool details about picking her up. And what they said was she's gone into cardiac arrest. Get up here now. 
I leap up. My boys are sitting on the couch. My mom's sitting in the easy, easy chair. Easy boy. And I say, Mama's just gone into cardiac arrest. Start praying. Jump in my car. Call my pastor. Call one of my closest friends, Kay Hidemine. Actually, I texted them. I texted a bunch, a bunch of close friends. I said, start praying. She's gone into cardiac arrest. Start the drive. From, start, from Falcon from up Falcon, to From to Falcon. Denver. An hour and a half. 90 minutes is about what it takes. And uh, start calling people, letting them know to pray. And when I hit InterQuest and I-25, I called and got a hold of I said, 10th floor nurse, please. They answered, and I said, uh, I need an update on Elizabeth Ryder. And they said, we're still doing chest compressions. At that point, it had been about 20 minutes. I knew she probably wasn't going to make it. Keep driving. Keep making phone calls. I take some breaks in between phone calls. Just trying to get up there, trying to stay focused. Um, trying to weave through traffic to get not, not speed so much that mm-hmm. I get pulled over, but speed enough that I get up there as fast as I can. And I finally called back again. I thought about calling it Castle Rock. I call. I finally muster up the courage to call once again because they hadn't called me back. I muster up the courage to call to hear the news that I was dreading that I knew deep in my spirit I'd eventually walk. Dr. Bull goes on and says, Steve, I'm sorry. We weren't able to save her. At that point, I just went into autopilot and uh, started making phone calls, called her dad, called her mom had already called and knew. And uh, um, called her siblings. Oh my gosh, that was hard. Oh my gosh. Calling her sister, Alicia. Her, her sister, Alicia, was born. So her parents split when she was 10. Her, she moved out with mom, split, and would go back in summers to spend with her dad in Southern California. Dad remarries, has a daughter, Alicia, and Elizabeth's 15 years old, I think, at the time. And she moved out to Southern California to be one, part, she didn't want to be replaced mm-hmm. as a daughter. Mm-hmm. And two, she wanted to be there for for her baby sister. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. She wanted to raise her. And Alicia is very similar in personality to Elizabeth. So the two of them are like just close. They're they're like super close. And just hearing Alicia go, no. Yeah. Yeah. So I get to the hospital. And on the way, I called a buddy of mine, John Ramstead. John was a very successful financial advisor. And uh, I met him at a family talk donor at a, at a donor event for, for a nonprofit that mm-hmm. I worked for. And uh, he was thrown from his horse into a steel fence, nearly killed. I was the first one to get to him. It was one of the most horrific things I've ever seen. And we just became friends through his journey, his health journey and recovery mm-hmm. uh, because of the brain injury, the traumatic brain injury. He was no longer able to be a financial advisor. So he turned, became an executive coach. We both started a podcast called Eternal Leadership in 2014, right at the time Elizabeth went into the hospital with a congestive heart failure. And uh, John's one of my closest friends. And I called him up and I was like, bro, I need you at the hospital. He lives over in Highlands Ranch. And so he drove to the hospital. I was there for probably, I'd say, about 10 minutes before he got there. And I was making some phone calls out there. And uh, I um, 
this has to be surreal. It just has it to was, be surreal. It, it, it was. It was. It was. It was. I, I remember waiting for John in between a couple of phone calls. And I just remember looking up at this blue sky, much like we have right mm-hmm. now. And just noticing the blueness. And just kind of focusing on that for a while. And just to kind of just catch my breath and just mm-hmm. try and be in the moment. John gets there and we try and figure out which entrance to go through. We eventually work our way over to the ER and um, I tell them I finally wait. I wait in line. I get in line. I'm not wearing a mask, by the way. Mm-hmm. I never thought about bringing a mask. I figured they'd just offer me one when I got there. So I get there. I tell them my wife just passed away up on the 10th floor. I need to get up there. Okay, we'll call someone and they'll escort you up. I felt it was about seven minutes. John said it was closer to 20 minutes. And the anger kept building and building and building and building and building until I absolutely blew up. And I strung out more F-bombs than I ever have in my entire life. You mother effers kept me away from my wife for 21 days. F you. Now you're making me wait here in this ER while her corpse is up there. F you. F you, because, because there were two security people sitting right there at the security desk. One of them could have broken off and immediately have taken me up. Mm-hmm. What, what was the response? Was there any compassion in that at all? I mean, they, and, and- they, they just, they, all, they took it. They didn't get aggressive with me. Fortunately, they took it. And immediately once I was done. And I don't know how long it was, whether it was 30 seconds, 60 seconds, 90 seconds. I don't know. But it was 21 days. My wife was in there the 21st day that she was in the hospital. She died. It was 21 days of me fighting, trying to get in there to see her. And And she died alone. and, And lawyer responses. She died alone. No one was in her room. No one should die alone. Hashtag never die alone. Hashtag. Never die alone. Hashtag never recover alone. Hashtag never sick alone. Hashtag never birth alone. This is something that is going to become a movement. Getting back to the story. So as soon as I get done, as soon as I stop, all of a sudden there's a security guard next to me who's like, I'll take you up. Where the hell were you 20 minutes ago? Yeah. Where the hell were you 20 minutes ago? Take me up to the room. John's got his hand on my back. I sit down in a chair next to her and I just stroke her head and I just, the sobs came from the deepest part of my soul. And I, all I could say is mama. Oh, mama. That's what we called her. That's what boys called her. Mama. Oh, mama. 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 Five, 10 minutes. I don't know how long went by. Finally, once, once, once it started to subside, Dr. Bull walked in. He kind of explained. He was like, um, I was on my rounds. She was in her chair and she was kind of hunched over on, on her knees, struggling to breathe. We immediately started CPR. That's when we called you. And I was like, why didn't the alarms go off? Sometimes when they're seated in the step down ICU, the alarms don't go off is what he told me. He went on to explain, um, he thought it could be a blood clot because, because of the lupus and the pH, she was on blood thinners mm-hmm. and because of the bleeding in the lung, they obviously had to counteract that. And so we knew that she was at risk of a blood clot. And in fact, at one point they did an echo and saw a mass in her heart okay. that could be a blood clot. 
And so they were doing lots of stuff. Her health, her health history was so complex. Um, Dr. Jeffrey Gladden, he is an interventional cardiologist turned functional medicine doctor in the Dallas area. To work with him is about forty to $60,000 a year. Uh-huh. Kay Hidamine, one of my a very, very, very close friend of mine, and Steve Grison, another very close friend of mine, wanted to do a GoFundMe for Elizabeth so we could go see Dr. Jeffrey Gladden. Okay. Dr. Gladden advised us. He looked over all of our health history in February, and in March he came back to us, and he basically said – your doctors are doing everything that I would do. Okay. There's nothing new and cutting edge. He's an investor in a stem cell clinic in the Dallas area. I'm big into biohacking. And for the last, I'd say four or five years, I'd listened to biohacker podcasts, cutting edge health stuff, Okay. cutting edge health stuff that that's really going to help increase our lifespan. Okay. So, I mean, we're, so our generation is going to be healthier longer than any generation in the last 2000 years. Mm -hmm. (coughs) So Dr. Gladden says, unfortunately we don't have stem cells down to a science enough that we're able to target the lungs. He said, we may be doing a pulmonary hypertension study. And if that's the case, then we will re-engage with you and get you into that study. Okay. Um, And so, So anyway, um, so so your point is, you know, she's in really good hands. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And and so Dr. Bull said, um, I think it might have been a blood clot that that we didn't catch in one of the scans. Mm -hmm. So can we do an autopsy? Do you want to do an autopsy? It'll be covered by the hospital or covered by insurance or covered by whoever. You won't have to pay. And I was like, absolutely. I want to know why my wife died. He said, if you do this, by the way, before you actually sign the paperwork, it's going to delay the official death certificate. And that could delay life insurance and closing accounts and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> and so if you're willing to willing to trade that waiting period to know, I, I advise you to, to do the autopsy. And I said, absolutely, let's do it. Chaplain comes in. I'm with her a little, probably another 10, 15 minutes. I don't know what it was. Fortunately, I got there while she still had color in her face. And when mm-hmm. I left, that's when the color really started to leave. Chaplain comes in and says, I'll escort you down. Take your time. John and the chaplain are out in the hallway talking. Take her down to where? Huh? Where, where, where? So that he said, I'll escort Take, you. Es- escort me down to the main, to the main entrance to, okay. out, out to go to my car. So I get her stuff. She had like three bags of stuff, (coughs) some blankets, (coughs) the clothes that she was wearing when she got there, um, her glasses, that kind of stuff, her phone, her charger, three hospital bags. So I picked them up. I grabbed them. I kiss her on the forehead one last time. Chaplain takes us down to the west elevators, and if anyone has ever been to the to the Anschutz campus, you have the ER on the far west side, you've got the inpatient pavilion, then you've got the offices, and you've got the outpatient pavilion kind of moving east. So he takes us down the west elevator, and we're walking past the cafeteria, past the gift shops, out to the main entrance. <coughs> and it didn't hit me, really. I, I, I thought about it that night. But it didn't really hit me, Kim, until the next day because of obviously the shock of it. Sure. You know, I just said goodbye to my wife. Sure. My bride. The love you think of my you're life. bringing her home and then she passes on. All of a sudden, within within the course of an hour, mm-hmm. 
hour and a half, we're planning on coming home and she's gone. So we're, we're going down the elevator. We come out the elevator. <clears throat> and I notice that nurse right there is not wearing a mask. That hmm. doctor over there is not wearing a mask. That janitor right there, that staff person, about half the people, half, and John Ramstead will back me up on this. Half of the people on that ground floor were not wearing masks. My question for the leadership of UCH, if this is really, really that big of a pandemic and I'm not allowed in, why the hell are your doctors and nurses not wearing masks on that ground floor? So if you have Why are they not wearing masks every second that they're in that hospital? If in fact, if in fact, all, you know, all of this is what they say it was. So what did you do about it? I, really, I, I, I was in such shock that um, I, I just, I, I, and like I said, it didn't hit me until the next day. Uh-huh. I just noticed it. And then the thought hit me on the way that next morning. I should record this. So I got a call the next day from the hospital saying that uh, a ring that she was wearing, her, her mother's wedding band with a sapphire in it, the diamond lost, so she replaced it with the sapphire. She loved sapphires. Was the only personal item that, that, was, that she didn't have her necklace on. She didn't have her wedding ring on. She always wore a wedding ring. It was like her spirit. Her mom and I talked about this. It was like her spirit knew that she wasn't going to come home. She left her wedding ring at the house. She left her two necklaces that she loved the most and opal that, that my brother got her from. They live in Australia. Opals are <coughs> fairly common in Australia. She wasn't wearing a, a sapphire cross that she, that she normally wears. Um, this necklace that I wear right here, we got this in Australia. When we were there, she, bought a, she got a matching bracelet that she mm-hmm. always wore. I always wear this, and she always wore her bracelet. She wasn't wearing that either. So I get a call saying that, that the wedding band, the heart-shaped wedding band ring with the sapphire in it uh, was pulled off of her, and I could pick it up at any time. I just need to go over to the outpatient pavilion, call up. They will walk it down. So Tuesday she dies. Wednesday they call me. The 20th, they call me, tell me to pick up the ring. Um, I wasn't able to really do it until Thursday of last week. Mm-hmm. And I talked to my brother, Neil, and I said, okay, here's the plan. Um, when we go there, once we get the ring, I want to ask for a security guard for old time's sake. Please accommodate this grieving widower. Let me walk that hallway one last time. This shirt that I'm wearing is what I wore that Thursday, and I've got a pocket right here. And I did a little test with my phone sitting in this pocket, so that way the camera was right there. And I immediately was going to turn on, and I actually did. I turned on a Facebook Live as soon as I walked into the hospital. Because I called up to the 10th floor on my wife's phone, my wife's phone has um, some difficulty hearing through the earpiece. You need to plug in headphones. Um, I wish she would have gotten that fixed. I wish she would have replaced the phone. We never did. She just always had earbuds plugged into it to call people. It makes it difficult. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm sitting there in the in the in the um, the uh, outpatient pavilion by the info desk, and I'm trying my best to hear what they're saying and trying to talk and trying to communicate through this phone that I'm having difficulty doing so. Really, what I should have done is should have got my brother's phone and and called from that one. You always so, think of that afterwards. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, I, so I've got the mask on and I pull it off because it's difficult for me to talk a lot with the mask on. I've, yeah. I've, I've got a nose that kind of juts out a little bit. It pushes down. It's really uncomfortable. I don't like wearing a mask. I do it when I have to. When I have to. And uh, like Costco, they make you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't like it, but I do it. So anyway, um, I get there and I pull the mask down and I'm kind of by the information desk. And this lady from the information desk slides her way over and says, sir, put your mask back on. I look at her and I kind of snap a little bit and I say, I'm COVID negative. Don't worry about it. And she snapped back at me. Well, I didn't know that. And something inside of me just snapped. And it's like, my wife was here for 21 days and I never got in. And all I want is a ring back. And I'm trying to get a hold of the 10th floor. Leave me the F alone. She immediately looked over at security. Get him out of here. Really? Fortunately, there was this elderly-ish African-American gentleman who, saw, who heard me and kind of inserted himself between us and kind of pulled me away. Was he an employee? De- yeah, yeah, yeah. And de-escalated the situation. Okay. And while I heard her pissing and moaning, I don't need this shit. I don't Talking to the security people. Now, your wife has just died recently. Well, eight days before. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nine days before. Nine days before. <clears throat> My question for UCH is, what the heck is she doing in customer service to have that kind of an attitude? Mm-hmm. I understand it's stressful. Mm-hmm. I understand. I totally get that. I mm-hmm. totally get that. Mm-hmm. But to snap at a grieving husband like that, mm-hmm. a grieving widower mm-hmm. like that, it was completely inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So Facebook Live is running. My friends are outraged at They're this. They're watching all this. Oh, yeah. They are outraged. They are like, get her name. I, I saw the comments. Get her name. Yada, yada, yada. Let's crucify her. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Yeah, but, um, so finally, um, <laughs> I'm able to hear from the, from the 10th floor. We'll bring it down. <laughs> Please go outside. Sit on a bench. Describe yourself, what you're wearing, and we'll bring you the ring. And while my brother and I, and so I shut off the Facebook Live while we're just waiting there, and Neil and I started talking, and we connected at a way, at a level that we never have in our entire life. <laughs> the plan was for um, Neil and the security guard to, I wanted Neil to engage the security guard in conversation, and I was going to be kind of behind them with the pocket, with my, with my uh, phone in my pocket running live and then also for me to do another live while me holding the phone kind of like pretending like I was texting and I was going to show I was going to pinpoint people that didn't have masks on Mm -hmm. and the point at which we hit the cafeteria and turned around I was going to start going up to those doctors nurses staff and janitors and say why aren't you wearing a mask what's your name Mm -hmm. what's your name what's your name what's your name I wanted some kind of something that could go viral that that would really kind of hold them hold their feet to the fire on this but it didn't happen because while I was out there, I just started talking to my brother and we connected at a level that we never have. And it just didn't feel right. Okay. It didn't feel right for me to pick a fight when I'm connecting with my brother in this way that I love my brother. And we, we've always, 
we're close, but we were, it was like at a whole new intimate level. Like, like my brother is the closest friend in the universe. And it was like, okay. And I kind of sat there and I prayed a little bit and I felt like, no, now it's not, now it's not the time to, to do this fight. And so I went on my phone and I deleted the Facebook live video, just deleted it. I felt like today's not the day hmm. that the fight is going to come. We go home. Those Holy Spirit nudges, you have to listen to. Them. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's really kind of the only way in which I can describe it. And so my brother and I continued to just have this amazing conversation all the way home. And it was just, it was beautiful. And there were a couple of things that he told me, like they're, he's, he's, he's engaged. And because of the whole COVID thing, they, they had planned on getting married in September in Minneapolis. He lives in the Minneapolis suburbs on the North side, I'm away from all the rioting. Mm -hmm. I called him and I said, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm on the North side. We're fine. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> so weddings delayed. So weddings. People what? are dying alone. <coughs> I mean, this is crazy. And, and, crazy and, 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 and on, the, on the drive, he was like, yeah, we're thinking about eloping. We're thinking about eloping to Europe. And I was like, I just, I found myself wanting to grab my phone and call Elizabeth and say, we're going, we're going to Europe to, mm -hmm. to, 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 for the wedding. We're going to Europe. And I was like, there's so many things that I just want to grab the phone and I want to go tell her exciting news that I just want to say the kinds of stuff that we would call each other over. So yeah, got home and, uh, talked to my boys. Um, the night that I told my boys, so when, when I got home from the hospital that night, that day that she died, I got home about eight o'clock and I made sure that they, that, I told everyone, I said, you protect, keep them away from social media that way in case I said, no one posts on social media, but in case someone does and a couple of relatives did, I said, uh, just let them play video games. So that way they're away from social media. Mm -hmm. So that way I'm the one that tells them. When I got in the, the house, I sat down and I said, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> they weren't able to save mama. She's gone. They're like, what? Nobody's Mama's expecting gone. it. Mama's gone. Caleb immediately jumped up and he's like, I got to go for a bike ride. He's, he's, he's an active person mm -hmm. like me. He likes to move a lot. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, you go, dude. You go. You go for your bike ride. Come back. Matthew just sat there. My 15-year-old just sat there, sat there, sat there. Put my arm around him, hugged him, kissed him. Told him I loved him. And after about 20 minutes, probably. I sat down next to him, put my arm around him. I said, what's going on in there? And I pointed, pointed like touched his chest. Mm -hmm. And he said, daddy, I'm equal parts sad and equal parts pissed because the last three weeks of my mama's life were stolen from me. <clears throat> and I told him, I told him right then. I said, buddy, I promise they will pay. Mm-hmm. I promise this will be a fight and I will make them pay for this. A week ago, we were taking the dogs out for a walk and he essentially said the same thing. He said, dad, I'm just, I'm, I'm sad and I'm mad. Yeah. I'm sad and I'm mad. A widower buddy of mine who lost his wife 10 years ago, um, immediately when he saw the news, he sent me his number and he said, uh, I don't know if you still have my number, but I'm always here for you. And I called him. On Thursday, she died on Tuesday. I called her. I called him on Thursday, and at the end of the conversation, he said, "Steve, can I give you a piece of advice?" I said, Absolutely. He said, "When Jenny died, pancreatic cancer, I was so broken, 
and so poor and so wounded, I didn't get my kids counseling. And I saw through my support group a vast difference between the kids that got counseling, grief counseling, and the kids that didn't. And he said, Steve, do whatever you can, whatever you can to get your kids grief counseling. Okay. And so uh, yesterday was the first appointment with her. It was just me. Two weeks is going to be just me. And then the week after the boys are going to do it. And we're going to do individual, all three of us, individual, and then family group. So that way we can, uh, um, yeah, that way we can. uh, I think that's healthy to do that. And so you have a GoFundMe page to help you with some of these things, right, Steve? Yeah, we do. We we have a GoFundMe. um, And uh, I also created a Facebook group. Last week, I talked to the boys and and I asked their permission. I said, uh, I I don't want this to ever happen to anyone again. I want protection. This dying alone thing is not okay. It's just not okay. I I, I said, um, there will be lawsuits. But I I said, I was talking with Dale Anderson, who's Doug Lamborn, my congressman's chief of staff. We had about a 45-minute conversation. And, And the way in which I pitched it, I said, I want a patient's bill of rights. I want national stockpiles of personal protective equipment so that way there is no chance we are ever going to run out. And I want that personal protective equipment paid for by the insurance company because human touch is important. It is really important. There is a study, and I'll have to look through my Facebook page and send you the link, or or you and your producer can go Mm -hmm. look it up. But uh, loneliness equals smoking 18 cigarettes a day. We saw that. Loneliness equals smoking 18 cigarettes a day. Why were they letting my wife be alone? For 21 days. 21 days. And it's not just me. It's still going on. On Monday, I got a call from from former representative Amy Stevens, who's a, who's, uh, a former colleague, and um, she's a freaking rock star. And she told me she has a friend who's at Anschutz right now, as, as of Monday, begging for his wife to be there. If I remember, I saw something like melanoma and a brain surgery. Mm-hmm. Begging for his wife to be there. No. Okay, Steve, we're about out of time on this yes. podcast. The story is so riveting. For our listeners, what would you recommend that they do right now? How can they help you? So I have created a Facebook group. Um, the name likely will be changing, but it's something like no one should die alone in a pandemic ever again. Okay. And what we are doing is we are sharing our stories. We are going to heal together. And most importantly, we are going to mobilize. We are going to mobilize so that no one ever goes through the kind of pain that those of us have gone through either losing loved ones or being separated from loved ones or giving birth alone. Or I even heard a story and I know it's not the only story out there. If I went digging, I'd probably be able to find a whole bunch on Twitter of a mom of a kid, probably somewhere between eight and five. I don't remember the exact age, but he was in the ER for multiple hours by himself. Mom was not allowed and they wouldn't even allow the kid to have his teddy bear. There is a cruelty to this whole thing. It is. It is cruel. So. It is. And and so I want to make sure that this never happens to anyone ever again, that there is laws or regulation changes. I really want to see a law in place that at least one visitor per patient per day with the personal protective equipment provided by the insurance company. 
It's just common sense. It is. It's just common sense. Steve Ryder. So, uh, again, that Facebook page, you'll keep us informed on all this as well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 <coughs> excuse me. I will be back um, to update you. Um, I've got some big meetings. I had a big meeting this morning. I've got some big meetings this afternoon. And, uh, yeah, we're looking at all the different channels in which to do this. Political action committee, nonprofit, whatever. It is the utmost in cruelty that someone should die alone. I so appreciate you telling your story. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, that uh, your, your two interviews, uh, one of our listeners responded and said that it's one of the most riveting pieces of radio he had ever heard. Steve Ryder, my prayers are with you. Thank you, my friend. And with your children Thank and you, with friend. all those that love Elizabeth. And her services will be later on this month. Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're making it a whole weekend. So f- Friday night, we're going to do a uh, traditional memorial service. Um, and then we've got some other stuff going on that weekend. Celebration of life. So yeah. um, my prayers are with you. Thank you, my friend. And uh, so we're signing off. This is Sounding Off with Kim Munson. Steve Ryder has been my guest whose uh, wife passed on. He thought he was bringing her home. And instead, she uh, passed on to her other home. <laughs> uh, it was a big shock. And no one should ever die alone. It's one of the most cruel things that's been happening during this whole COVID-19 Wuhan virus reaction disruption. So um, I have purchased a domain and I have a name for a nonprofit. The nonprofit is going to be called the Never Alone Project. And we bought the domain neveralonepandemic.org. And we also bought the neveralonepandemic.com as well. Um, right now, my attorney is working on uh, putting all that paperwork together. And we're hoping by July 1st, we're able to start taking donations. I'll be sure to let you all know. Um, this is, this is the, the goal of this, uh, nonprofit really is to one for all of us to sh- all of us that went through something to share our stories, to heal together. And most importantly for us to mobilize. So that way this never happens to anyone ever again. Um, I believe I said it in the interview. I even want those decision makers who didn't afford me or my boys, the ability to see my wife and their mother. I even want them to be protected. I even want them to be protected. So, um, yeah, if, if I get any, um, if, if you want to hear any other updates, um, I, I can definitely share those in this feed. Uh, but for now, um, I'm going to be signing off and, uh, expect me to come back probably I'd say early mid July. So thanks a lot. Do good. Be awesome. My friends.